media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Now, I know we have some photographers in our church, some very good photographers. And this is a, a rather inexpensive camera. But there's one feature on this camera that I really, really, really like. Well, there's actually two features that I really, really like. One is automatic focus. How many of you can appreciate automatic focus? Uh, especially as you get older and your eyes start to give out and everything, that you just kind of click that button and it will do the focusing for you. Uh, the other thing I, I like is that it's digital and so you don't need film. Now, we're going to date ourselves. Uh, there's going to be a, a portion of the church that will completely date itself today. How many of y'all know what that is? Yeah. You know, there, there's a time and place, especially for you young ones, uh, that you couldn't just kind of put a card in there. You take a thousand different shots and then kind of come back and, you know, cut out this person or make it lighter, darker, whatever, you know, all the different things that you could do. Back in the day, back in the day, uh, you put film in a camera, you went out there and you took pictures of your vacation, of a wedding, of whatever special event, and then you sent it off in hopes that maybe you would get maybe six out of 24 pictures. Any of y'all remember those days? Do you remember the days that you were all excited about getting something back, you know, some event that you went to, and you were ready to share that with everybody else, and all of a sudden you get it back, and every single picture is blurred, dark, or something like that, a big thumb in front of it, whatever it might be. The problem is you didn't know it until the end, and you had already, that event was gone. Well, I use that as an illustration this morning because I want you to know that as we approach chapter 15 and 16 of Mark, it is some of the darkest days that we're going to see three days that changed all of human history. All of human history really focuses on that death and then the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of our hope is focused on those three days. And so we see that these are the three most important days of human history, and yet they're pretty dark. And so this morning, I really want us to be able to focus. What, What do we begin to see in all these events? Because if you look from one vantage point, it really does look like the whole plan of Christ is falling apart. We've got one that's going to betray him. We're going to have one that's going to deny him. All the disciples kind of spread out. I mean, it looks like everything is falling apart. And instead of a kingdom coming together, we see kind of a maybe a kingdom that's going kind of the exact opposite way. I would venture this morning that, that perhaps as we would look at the scripture, especially over the next several weeks in these last chapters of Mark's gospel, that we would see the exact opposite that when we come upon those things that are quite mysterious to us, okay, why did this happen? Why did God allow that to happen? That what we see is that God is orchestrating in the most magnificent of all ways this wonderment of our salvation. This is our hope. I'll be honest. I I like to know theological answers. I, I like to know the mysteries of the Bible. And I firmly believe that after following Christ all these years and studying and getting degrees and different things like that, I finally, maybe in the last three or four or five years, I'm kind of at rest and pretty much at peace, still interested, but at least at peace with the mysteries of God. That there's just some things that God is going to have and that he's not going to reveal to us until a day when we are there face to face with him. 
How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place of just really having peace when we really have a lot of wonderment? I think it's when we begin to focus back on what we do know for sure. Mark chapter 14, this plan that begins to look like it truly is falling apart. There's going to be a parade of false trials and accusations, the scourging of, of Jesus. He goes to a gruesome death on the cross. And if you didn't know any better about this story and the fullness of it, you truly would begin to think that it truly is kind of not what the plan was. And yet what we do see that it was been, it's been the plan for all the ages. In fact, if we really understand from eternity past, before the world was created, this is God's plan. God is not reacting. He's always proactive. He's already... And it's really hard in discipleship this week. We're talking about some of the qualities of God. And that's a really hard thing because most of our lives, would you say, are reactive. Something happens and then we kind of react to it. Oh, we can make plans. Maybe you made plans to go to the beach this past week. And for the first three days, it was raining or something like that. That wasn't part of the plan. You wanted 78 to 82 degrees, perfect weather and all that. And yet you had to react to the situation that was there before you. God never does that. God is over all. Mark chapter 14, verse 12. Let's start this morning in Mark's description of the preparation of the Passover. For those that are uh, new to us this morning, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we've worked our way to Mark chapter 14, and these are the last days. In fact, this is the day before Christ goes to the cross. And there's many, many events that are going to be described in these three chapters, 14, 15, and 16. And they happen just like that. I mean, just quickly. But look what happens in verse 12. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, this would have been a regular thing that they've done. Uh, by asking that question, it makes it very apparent, to me at least, that uh, they had already celebrated two Passovers with Christ. They, they knew him being a Jew and a practicing Jew, ceremonially kind of practicing that in, in the, the day that he lived, that this would have been a normal part of their lives. Now, the Passover, as we've said before, was the holiest day of the Jewish people. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament in the, ex, in the book of Exodus, where God's people were called out of Egypt and if you remember, he told them that the death angel was coming and that the death angel would come upon all of the land. But if they wanted to be saved, that they would go to the doorpost and they would take the blood of the lamb and they would paint the outside of their door over the doorpost. And then the death angel would pass over that house. That was an actual event. That was part of their history. But it was also a preparation for Christ that was coming. The, the Passover then became an annual event where they were to remember God's victory there of bringing them out of captivity and bringing them into that liberty. It was all a forepicture, a pre-picture of what Christ was going to do. But they practiced it time and time again, just like we would do the Lord's Supper, as we think back to the work of Christ, but also anticipate his second coming. And so it would be very much like that in the way that we would practice that often so that we would be mindful of it. Well, this morning, we begin to look at this, and we begin to see that Christ is going to be the sacrificial lamb, that he very much is going to be the one that gives his life. And I heard from folks that, that really don't comprehend that, or that they only maybe have that one aspect of the relationship with Christ. 
Folks, he is the Lamb of God. But he's also the King of Kings. Uh, there's this multifaceted, and I don't mean that of just trying to add on all these different descriptors that we would have for Christ, but that he had for himself. One of the things that's really hard to comprehend is this humility of Christ, and yet he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But yet, when we begin to look at this Passover, when we look at these three days of human history, we begin to see him as Savior, Redeemer, and Friend. These last two chapters, to really get a focus, I I think that we have to be able to see Christ very much as this humble Lamb of God. I think that we can never lose sight that he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But I don't want us to miss either the, the intimacy that he's called us to be family and friend. When we begin to really look at this, when we begin to see the, the, the joy of this, we begin to see what Christ has done. On the night that the original Passover, back in Exodus 12, God instructed again for the death angel to pass over. Well, this isn't the first mention, though, of the need of a lamb. Go back to Genesis 22, verse 7. Genesis 22, 7. Remember Isaac and Abraham, or Abraham and Isaac? And how God had called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now that kind of blows our mind. It's kind of hard for us to conceive. Number one, why would God ever call for a father to sacrifice his son? Number two, this is his only son that, you know, the the promise of this only son. And, And all the promise of the Jewish people is kind of in the heritage of him having this son. And that son being alive and well. And so there's a lot of mystery there. But look what happens as they go up. And the previous verses talk about how they're going to go up and worship. And yet Abraham knows what's ahead. Isaac, Abraham, they go up. They have the knife. They have the wood. They have all these different things. Verse 7 says, And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Father, I know you're getting older. Remember how old Abraham was when he had his, you know, when he had Isaac? And so maybe he's thinking, okay, dad, you know, I know maybe you're getting forgetful, but isn't like a lamb pretty essential to a sacrifice? And so he asked the most obvious of questions. Okay, well, where's the lamb? Genesis 22, 8. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And if we fast forward that story, we see that he did. All this is a pre-picture of Christ, guys. This need for a lamb, this need for his final sacrifice is part of the gospel record that we see not just in the New Testament, but we see it in the Old Testament. And all of these Old Testament pictures are now coming to focus as they begin to have this Passover supper. Now, I want you to notice that along with this lamb that Christ is, that he's in complete authority over these details. Let's go back to Mark chapter 14. I know we're jumping around, but I want us to kind of tie all these things together this morning. Mark chapter 14, verse 13 through 15. And he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And whenever he, wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where I might eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. He sends two disciples out. He said, I want you to go into the city. 
Uh, in order to do the Passover, if you were able to do this as a Jew, you had to go within 15 miles. Uh, if you were within 15 miles of the city, you need to go to Jerusalem. It's just one of those things. And so they go into the city and they're, they're practicing, they're getting ready for the Passover. And notice that Christ is already taking care of every detail. He simply says, go find a man who's carrying water. That should have been pretty easy to do because, uh, again, we don't have to agree with this. Uh, mainly the ones that carried water in that day were the women. The men didn't do it. It was part of that cultural thing. The guys didn't do that. And so this guy would have stood out. And so they follow him. And sure enough, there is a room that has already been prepared. And they just have to make those final preparations for this Passover. Verse 16. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. When we read on, we get this picture that Jesus says that he is actually the real lamb of the Passover. He begins to illustrate this by what we call today communion, the Lord's Supper. They begin to have this last supper together. And all these years of thousands of years of history, he brings into the present. And he takes this promise of Abraham needing a sacrifice, this promise of the Passover lamb that would uh, that they would paint their doorsteps with. All of that comes into real time as they begin to sit down. Look at verses 22 through 25. And as they were eating, he took the bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, he takes thousands of years of history, he takes all these Old Testament pictures of the Christ and this sacrificial lamb, this one that is sufficient to, to truly be the sacrifice for their sins, and he puts it all upon himself. He says, I am that lamb. That we've asked over the last couple of weeks, did the disciples really grasp this? You and I have the vantage point of now 2,000 years later of looking back and we see the fullness of this story. We see what happened in those three days and the days that followed. But I imagine there was a part of them that uh, were overwhelmed by this truth. There was a part of them that did not grasp it. In fact, the scripture tells us they did not grasp the fullness of the gospel and this whole picture. I don't know what part they understood, but Jesus makes it very, very clear. I am the lamb that you've been waiting for. Who is Jesus? He truly is the lamb of God. Not just because John the Baptist said it, but because God has pronounced that. But he's also the king of kings. Notice the total authority that Jesus has over all these events. There's not one thing that is not under his command. And even in the betrayal of Judas, it had been predicted. If you go back to Zechariah 11, you see other places where this was all foretold. This is not kind of Jesus reacting to things falling apart before him, but it's actually this plan coming together. And while on one hand, we see this amazing humility of the Lamb, don't forget that for a second that he is the King. John the Revelator, in the book of Revelation writes this, and he connects these two thoughts of how Christ is the lamb, but he's also the king. In Revelation 17, 14, he says, and they will make war with the lamb, 
and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. It's the same account that the Apostle Paul, the same mindset that we get in Philippians chapter 2, when he talks about how this mind in you, which was also uh, in Christ Jesus, or, or really the actual Greek would say, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that if you're in Christ, this is the mind that you have the ability to have. Now, what kind of mindset is this? Humility, that Christ would sacrifice his life. And Paul exhaustingly tells us of the description of just this humility in great detail. And yet, how does he end that passage? Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord, to the glory of the God the Father. So here's the question, guys. Humble lamb... Humble lamb? Yes. King of kings and Lord of lords? Yes. We cannot see these last two chapters of Mark. We cannot see any betrayal of these three most important days in history without really embracing both of these things. In one way you say, well, they they seem like they're just on opposite ends of the spectrum. The humility of a lamb? The majesty of a king? And yet this is our Christ. That he truly is this humble lamb that would give of himself, even though he is mighty king. I, I promise you that we really cannot come into the intimacy of, of walking with Christ, and we certainly can't come into good theology until we really kind of grasp that both of these are working together at the same time. And we certainly can't look at these three days with the picture of things coming together instead of falling apart unless we grasp this. That Christ is constantly in control. There's not one thing that's beyond him. And yet this willingness to be silent before Pilate, to be a lamb that would be this Passover, this ultimate Passover lamb. And it's the fullness of this picture that allowed a Roman centurion, remember at the cross, Christ finally pronounces his last. And he gives his last breath. And he dies on the cross. And this Roman centurion, which for the most part we can probably assume is not Jewish, maybe not even familiar with Jewish traditions and and theology and heritage, he probably doesn't know anything about what we would call the Christian faith. And yet what does he pronounce? As he watches the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sacrifice himself as the Lamb of God, his pronouncement, his conclusion as he looks upon this mystery. Mark fifteen thirty nine. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw this in the way that he breathed his last, said, truly, this man was the Son of God. I dare you not to be in awe when you take the complexity of both the Lamb and the Lordship. Maybe in the same way that Isaiah, when he entered into the throne room of God, he's overwhelmed by the majesty of God. I mean, there's thunderbolts. There's all these things going on. And he goes, I do not need to be here. And yet the intimacy when God allows the angels to come and bring the purification, which is, again, another pre-picture of Christ. And then all of a sudden, okay, how do I react? 
And God from his throne, who shall I send? And I say, Zane says, here I am, send me. This lordship, this authority, this kingship. In one way, it's kind of makes us want to be distant when we realize our own sinfulness. And yet when we understand that this Christ is the Lamb of God, it brings us an intimacy with him. I, I dare you to not be in awe when you think of a humble lamb who gives his life is the king of kings. Or that this mighty king who is God himself is the lamb that Abraham needed on that mountain. That there is his blood that is really over the doorpost, providing the, the ability of the, uh, the Israelites to escape from a place of captivity into freedom. Folks, this one picture, this mighty God. Please don't read the last two chapters of Mark without both of those in perspective. But please don't leave that he is the lamb the sacrifice, to end all sacrifices. But don't leave for a moment the authority that he is sovereign king of kings, that he is Lord over all. But may I introduce one more thing that's not because of my own feelings, but because of what Christ said on this same very night. Mark doesn't record it, but John does. And that is, he is lamb, he is king, and yet he calls us to be his friend. I know a lot of people, oh, oh don't go there, Bobby. <laughs> we live in a day and day. You know, Jesus is not your buddy. He is not your pal. And I would wholeheartedly agree with that. He is not your buddy or your pal. But he said that he will be our friend. Well, don't they mean kind of the same thing? Maybe because we really don't know what true friendship is, guys. Now, we have a lot of buddies and we have a lot of pals. But do we have a lot of friends? Not the friend like Christ is. You know, there's an, there's an intimacy that he's bringing us into. Theologically, he is saving us. He's, he is the redeemer. He's redeeming us from all of our sinfulness. And he's bringing us from a, to a holy God in all of our sinfulness by being sin for us. This great exchange that happens when all of our sins are placed on Christ and all of his righteousness is imputed to us. This miraculous happening because he is the lamb and yet he's the king. And yet what is this lamb and this king said to you on this very night to his disciples? I call you to be my friend. John 15, 15. If you want to go back and you want to, we always want to look at the text in context, okay? We always want to look at it. Just not pick a verse. This is the night, the same night that Mark is recording. John gives us a lot more information. If you go back to John 14, 15, 16, 17, remember, most of that is written in what color? If you have a Bible read, these are the words of Christ, okay? So this is the intimacy of what is happening. Mark gives us a little detail. John says, let me expand upon what Christ was telling the disciples that night. And part of what Christ was telling that his disciples that night is found in verse 15 of John 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know all what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard my father, I have made known to you. Is he saying, I want to be your buddy? 
No. Hey, let's just be, you know, kind of, you know, hang out together? No. But he said, there's an intimacy that I desire with you. I am the Lamb of God, and I will pay for sins. And I want you to know, I am, I am King of kings and Lord of lords. But I want to call you into this intimacy. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that wherever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that, that you will love one another. He goes in and he begins to expand upon this. He says, I call you a friend because there's an intimacy here. When does he say this the exact same evening? Folks, this is not calling Jesus a buddy. This is understanding one more in focus, just like this camera would, would bring something that's out of focus and, and put it into focus. When we understand these last days of Christ, when we understand these three days that changed all of history, please do not forget that he is the lamb, that he's the king, but he's also called you to be the friend. And I do know some people that in the high horse of their theology, they go, you know, I just, I think we're on dangerous ground when we start calling Jesus friend. I did not call Jesus friend. He called me friend. He said he chose me. Okay, guys? I'll just let the words of Christ be sufficient. I'm not knocking down the door. I'm not trying to to be something. I can remember uh, years ago, we were at a Texas Rangers game, and Joe Torrey was going up from the, the press box going down, and because I knew him as a, uh, or just knew of him as one of the Atlanta Braves coach, here I am. He doesn't know me from anybody, but he's close enough, like, from, from me to the back where Craig is, Joe, Joe. And I don't imagine that he thought, crazy man, crazy man. <laughs> this is not me reaching out to somebody that I said, I want to be your friend. You're famous. You're like a, a big baseball player. How amazing it would have been as Joe Toy was going down there and I'm sitting there with my buddies that he was like, Bobby, Bobby Linkus. <laughs> Do you understand the difference, guys? Do you understand the intimacy that, that Christ is, is giving to us in, in, in these verses? We can't read these last two chapters of Mark and forget for a moment that he is the Lamb. We cannot forget that he is king of kings. He's the authority over all things. He is sovereign over all things. And yet in the midst of this, what does he say? I desire intimacy with you. And the intimacy is then further explained by all the New Testament writers as they go into this whole idea of adoption, that that we become the very sons and the daughters of the living God. Jonathan Edwards, famous pastor, said it this way, let it be our first love to enter into an everlasting friendship with Christ that never shall be broken. Guys, I hurt for somebody who only sees Christ as just the king of kings. Well, isn't that a proper way of looking at it? Yeah, I said it's only that because Christ said more about himself. Are we to have that kind of awe and that kind of wonder? Are we to be truly like Isaiah in the throne room of God? Yes. 
But don't stop there. He's the lamb. And sometimes when we focus just on the lamb part, we forget the, the majesty part and the sovereignty part and how he's over all things. But folks, don't, don't forget this third thread that Christ pronounces himself on this night. Jesus said it this way, John 15, 13. If we just go a couple of verses up. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I think we've kind of abused that, <laughs> the original meaning of that. And, and I think that it may have some application to the way that we would live out our lives today. And maybe somebody's heroic efforts that they would give their life in sacrifice of somebody else. I guess we could kind of loosely kind of say, okay, that, that's following the model of Christ. But is that what that verse meant? That a police officer or a firefighter, as, as heroic as it is, please do not hear that that's not heroic. We're just saying, okay, is, is it scripture though? Is that what Jesus meant? Now this is the Lamb of God, who's the King of Kings, saying, I will lie, lie, tell my life for you, my friend. For, for everybody, now it talks about the chosen, it talks about those, the, the, the elect. If you hear this morning, you're, you're not a Christian, I don't want you to go away thinking that, that Jesus did all this and, and that somehow he's now not just a, a buddy or friend, but that he's savior of the world automatically. That's not what the scripture says. What's the scripture say? Well, the way that I understand it best is when I was 12 years old. And God, this is going to sound so mystical. Open my eyes to my sin and open my eyes to a Savior. I was just sitting in church hearing the word of God. I already knew that I was a sinner. I already knew because I knew a lot of the children's songs that Jesus was a Savior. But in that moment, God tied those two things together and I said, and I cried out because God had opened my eyes to those things. And I pray that this morning that if you've never entertained Christ in your life, if you've never kind of thought about these three days of human history, that, that maybe today that you would say, okay, what does, who is this Jesus? He's the Lamb of God, perfect in every way, who came and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Empty himself, Paul says. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. Not out of the point of salvation, but out of the truthfulness of that. And this lamb and, and this king said, I call you to be my friend. Not a buddy who just kind of goes to the games with you. Somebody you just kind of pal around with. But a friend who is closer than a brother. I pray that you look at these, that we look at these last two chapters of Mark with that, because that's the proper focus. If we lose any part of this, guys, I think we lose some of the majesty, some of the humility, some of the intimacy that God designed in these last two chapters. And what we're going to see is really a dark story 
that maybe has some rays of hope. No, what we see is a plan coming totally together from a sovereign God for all of history before you and I were ever created that said, okay, this is my plan for you. And so this morning, I pray, do do you know him as your Savior? Do you know him as King of kings and Lords of lords? You know, that you just really are under his lordship in your life. Do you know him as friend? Because that's what these three days were all purpose for, that we would know God on that level of intimacy. If you don't know those, if you don't know the answer to those questions, if you're in wonderment of those questions and maybe the answers. I would invite you after the service. I'd love to talk with you. During the week, I'll buy you coffee. I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy you whatever. I'd love to sit down because this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, coming together in these three days. And I don't want you to miss a part of it. I don't want you just to see a humble sacrifice without the authority or the authority without the friendship. Now Christ brings into focus all that he is so that you and I can have intimate relationship with holy God. This isn't me calling out, God, God! This is God, holy God, creator of the world, calling down Bobby Linkus. I call you my son. That's as cool as it's ever going to get, guys. It's as cool as it's ever going to get. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the perfect lamb. That there would no longer ever have to be another sacrifice. That when you said it was finished, that it was finished. Father, thank you that Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. That Father, he is in total majesty over all things. Totally sovereign. And yet in this beauty, Father, of this sacrifice and this authority that Christ brings out this intimacy of friendship. Not a buddy, not a pal, not somebody who just kind of hangs out, but the deepest part of friendship that on the darkest night, on the most glorious of all days, that you will walk with us, that you will be with us. That which we lost in the garden because of our sin. Now, Father, you've begun to bring back that intimacy. Father, we help us to grasp that this morning. We love you, Father. We thank you for the total sacrifice of Christ, the sufficient sacrifice. We thank you that he was lamb. Father, we thank you that he is the creator of all things. Nothing was created except through him and by him. But Father, we thank you this morning as we would go from this place that this humble king would call us friend. We love you, Father, and we sing this song to you to affirm what you have established, how you have called out our name when we could have never called out your name. We love you and we thank you and we pray this in the finished work of Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.